This message entitled, Hit Your Stride, is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. This is the first message in the series, Run. Please enjoy Pastor Kevin Queen as he delivers this teaching. We hope it serves you well. I thought I was going to die. Like I had heard them talk about hitting the wall during the marathon, but I had never hit the wall before. In all my 39 years, I've heard conversation about it, but never felt the experience, never experienced it for myself. I thought I was going to die. Like all of my body started shutting down. My spleen hurt. I don't even know where my spleen is, but like it hurt like right here. Like <laughs> I mean, my whole body, my, my legs, like they just, my feet felt like they had cinder blocks attached to them. And I was like, yeah, I felt like I was giving it everything I had, but I know I looked like a 90 year old man just shuffling around along with gout. I mean, I was just, I was, I was hurting. But later on, I did some research on why they call it a marathon. It goes back to a Greek story of Pheidippides, who was a soldier in the Greek army. And after the Greeks beat the Persians in a place called Marathon, he ran back home to tell everybody that they had won. He ran 26 miles, told them that they won, and then he dropped dead. <laughs> so we run 26.2 miles more than the guy who died. <laughs> and we do it for fun. Oh, 26.2 miles. They lie to you. They tell you 26 miles. It's 26.2 miles. 26 miles. That's like getting in your car. Oh, let's, let's do this. 26 miles is like lacing up your Nikes and running down 85 into Atlanta. You could go faster than your morning commute, but that's still like it's, <laughs> it's, it's running into Atlanta. I am. Um, it took me four and a half hours to run that distance. Some of you are like, that's good. Some of you are like, that's all. I mean, there's just a, um, it, it, that's not that impressive. I mean, the world record is like half of that time, but uh, four and a half hours, that's how long it takes to get in your car and drive to Savannah. That's a lot of time to be wondering, why am I doing this? <laughs> like that was the dominant question going on in my mind. And, uh, and so I thought back on why I was doing that. I um, had an invitation to go with my wife and, and some friends, and we went up to New York City to watch a friend of ours, Athena, run the New York City Marathon um, before her 40th birthday. And so it's really cool to go up there and celebrate that with them. And, and the moment came, we're standing in Central Park, and we're watching all the runners run through Central Park. And I pulled out my phone, and I, and I filmed the moment when Athena ran by us. I thought it was pretty cool. I wanted to share it with you. Just for the record, that sketchy-looking bearded man who kissed Athena, that's her husband. That's, uh, that's, that's Lawton, and uh, not just some random dude trying to kiss Athena. But, uh, but it, was, you know, it, was, it was cool, but as we're waiting, and I'm watching all these people run by, and I'm kind of sizing them up, and I'm looking at these people, and I'm going, man, I could do that. 
And then you know, if you've ever been there, like the I could do that move, so the I should, you know, I should do that. And then it gets to the moment, like, I'm going to do that. Like, I committed there in Central Park to run a marathon in 2017 before I turned 40. And so, uh, so I, I signed up for one, and I began, began that training process. You know, I was talking with Lawton about three, three, uh, three weeks before the race, and he said, Kevin, uh, we were having a cup of coffee. He said, Kevin, you know, he said, I think the reason that God has prompted you to run this marathon is because there are some things that he wants to teach you that he never wants you to forget. And so we wonder, what's the first thing God taught you? Well, the first thing God taught me is not to run another marathon. That's the first thing <laughs> God taught me. I don't have legs like a gazelle. I have legs like a Datsun. That's, I'm just, I'm just doing, giving it my best. And so that's not my sport. Find another sport. Um, but God also taught me things about, about myself, about my soul, about relationships, about what it means to finish well. And, and what we look, find when we look through scripture is we find that, that running, that a race is one of the dominant themes, one of the dominant metaphors in scripture to describe this Christian life, to, decide, to, to describe the spiritual life. It's a, it's a parallel for, for life itself. In fact, I want to share one of the scriptures with you. There's many, many scriptures like this, but here's one. This is in 1 Corinthians. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying we're running this race, this race, and we're going for for a prize. We're going for a crown. There is a, there's reward at the end of the race. And, and so because this is a race that matters, because this is, this is serious, because we get one life and we're, and we're running this race for the glory of God. And Jesus is our prize and there is a reward. He said, we go into strict training. In other words, we don't just try, we train. There's a difference between trying and training. You don't wake up one day and go, you know, I feel pretty good. So good last night. I'm going to try and run a marathon. No, if you want to run a marathon, you train. And, and if you want to maximize your potential in life, if you want to maximize this race that God has called you to, then you train. There's a difference between trying and training. And maybe that explains why so many of us are stuck and stuck in our relationships and stuck in our marriage and maybe, maybe stuck in your career or stuck financially. It's because we keep throwing trying at life rather than training. That's a good word. But that's not where we're going today. Let me show you another scripture. This is, uh, this is one from Philippians Talking about a race, Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, I'm running this race and I'm telling you, I haven't hit the finish line yet. I haven't got this thing perfected. I still mess up, still blow up, still, still have my hangups, but I, I'm, when I fall down, I'm getting up and I'm running the race that God has for me. And I'm forgetting what's behind so that I can strain toward what's ahead. You know why? Because you can't get what's ahead of you when your head is in your past. I mean, there's so many of us, we keep replaying our past mistakes, our failures, our hangups, and we're, we're allowing those things in our past to define us. And what God wants you to know today is those things don't define you. God wants you to let go of your past. You can't run into your destiny to what God's called you to when you're running backwards. You got to forget what's behind you. Gotta, listen, listen, when we talk about forgetting what's, God's already forgotten what's behind you. At the cross, you find the forgiveness of God. And scripture tells us that God chooses to remember your sin no more. Like he's not holding on to it. He, he's not continually bringing up the list 
Where it tells us that that love keeps no record of wrongs. That God loves you perfectly and he's not holding up the list of where you screwed up. He's saying, forget what's behind so that you can press on toward what's ahead. Man, that's a good word. That's not where we're going today. All right, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This is my favorite scripture when it comes to running the race. Hebrews chapter 12 in a worship center Bible. It's going to be page 1213. 1213 in a worship center Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible of your own, man, we'd love to give you one. You can stop by guest services on the way out. We got them on sale today. They're free. They are free. Right. Running a deal. Take one, get one free. Like, they're all free. So if you don't, well, don't take two, but just take one. If you don't have one, we want to. All right, let's go to the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. If you got a uh, mobile device, go to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We'll pick up in verse 1. If you're going to Bible app. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My prayer has been that God will use these three verses to help you find your stride. You know what it means to find your stride. It means that it means when your form, when you are most effective and you are most efficient and you are, you are maximizing your capacity, your potential, that you are all out. That's, that's the place where you feel God's glory. That's, that's, the, that's the place where you go, I'm running the race that I'm supposed to run in the way that I'm supposed to run it. That's when, that's when you're maximizing your potential. And, and I want to help encourage you to find your stride. I believe there are people in this room and some of you, you are, um, you are in transition right now. Some, you're in trouble right now. For some, you got, you, you're about to start something new. For some of you, you're just trying to get your next breath. You're feeling out of breath. And my prayer is that God will use these two weeks to help you find your stride that you would run your race that through these verses, through God's word, he would inspire you and he would motivate you and he would equip you to find, to find your stride. But we're gonna dig in verse one. What's the first word of verse one? Therefore. Now, whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you should ask the question, what is it there for? What's the therefore therefore? Because what the reason that the author is saying therefore is just because he's made a point and now he's hinging his next thought on that last point. So he's taking, he's taking what he's about to say and he's tying it to what he's just said. So in Hebrews chapter 11, you go, you read therefore, so you go back and look at Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 11 is all about this hall of faith. It's all about these, these great men and women of the faith who, who finished the race, who ran this race well, who, who carried, who carried this, their, their faith in a way they trusted God in the midst of adversity and challenges and obstacles. They live life fully. And so he's tying this next thought to Hebrews 11. Now he's saying, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the great cloud of witnesses? The heroes of the faith. What he's saying is all of those who have gone before us are a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. They are for us. He's like Abraham and Moses and Noah and David and Samuel and your grandmother and your Sunday school teacher and your coach. 
All of those who have gone before us, who have tasted of heavenly glories, who have experienced the reward at the end of the race, what he's saying to us is, is they are cheering for you. Heaven is pulling for you. If, if you're taking notes and you want to write something down, if you want to find your stride, the first thing you need to know is that we have a cheering section. We have a cheering section. Heaven is pulling for us. And if you've ever played sports, you know how powerful it is to have somebody yell out your name and cheer you on. You ever had that moment where somebody in the stands says your name and you just feel this, this surge of, of energy and, and excitement kind of go through you? Um, I experienced it in the marathon that I ran. I, uh, my wife, she strategically positioned herself at a couple places in the race and began cheering for me. She pulled out her iPhone and she recorded. And I want you, and here's what I want you to know, is that when I heard her say my name, I felt like Usain Bolt. I felt like, I felt like, I mean, I was like Rocky. I mean, it was just adrenaline, testosterone, just surging through my body. She, she recorded it. I want, you to, I want you to listen in and check this out. Good job, Kev. How you feeling? How you feel? Yeah, good. Okay, keep it up, keep it up. I'll see you soon. Yeah, that's mile three. Do you see that smile, the blow of the kiss, choreographed in my mind? It's beautiful. I had my stride going. She said my name. I guess my girl, and I just and um. She surprised me again at mile 19. See if you can notice the difference. That's what death looks like right there. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, I didn't even have words. I was like, whoo. I sound like an owl. Whoo. She said, come on, Kev. Oh, man. Running a marathon, it's a lot different than running a sprint. Running a sprint, you're in a stadium and people cheering for you and they're saying your name and you can see your finish line the whole time. Running a marathon, you can't see the finish line. You don't know what's around the next turn. And 99% of the time, you're by yourself. And when you are by yourself, that's when you're most vulnerable. You know that about yourself, right? It's when you feel alone that, that your mind tries to sabotage your body. And you just begin to tell your thing, yourself things like, I could quit right now. Nobody would ever know. Say things like, Man, I could take public transportation to the finish of this race. I could Uber myself out of this mess. I could fake an ACL tear or a heart attack. I could fake a heart attack. I think I could. Listen, when, when you're alone, that's when you're most vulnerable. When you're alone, that's when, you, that's when you hit the wall. And some of you are hitting the wall right now, and you're feeling all alone. Maybe a relationship it's gone sideways. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe financially you feel like you're all alone. Maybe you're, maybe you're overwhelmed at work or maybe you're out of work. Maybe you're dealing with anxiety and depression and you're feeling all alone. And what God wants you to know today is that you might feel lonely, but you're not alone. 
He tells us in Hebrews chapter 13. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said it this way, right before he ascended into heaven, he said, I'll be with you always, even till the end. He tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, you have a cheering section. All of heaven is cheering for you. It's pulling for you. God's cheering for you by name. He knows you by name. He calls you by name. He's encouraging you by name. It's powerful when you, when you know that. It reminds me of a story in the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was during the Montgomery bus boycott. And uh, he was in the parsonage next to the church and the threats started to come in and one night he was just overwhelmed and he was sitting at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee. He said the phone rang and he picked up the phone and the voice on the other line said, Dr. King, said, you need to stop preaching what you're preaching. I'm gonna kill your wife. I'm gonna kill your daughter. I'm gonna kill you. And then he hung up. And Dr. King said he was just so overwhelmed with fear. He said, God, I don't know what to do. I can't do this anymore. I'm too weak. And he said, there sitting at that table over that cup of coffee, it seemed in that moment he could hear an inner voice speaking to him, saying, Martin Luther, you stand up for righteousness. And you stand up for justice. And you stand up for truth. And I will be with you, even to the end. Martin, you're not alone. And he said that that was a defining moment for him in the future when, when problems seemed too overwhelming to bear. He said he went back to that moment to know that, that God was with him and that God was cheering him on and God is cheering you on too. You're not alone. Encouragement is powerful. The word encouragement means to literally deposit courage into. The Holy Spirit is called um, the encourager, the advocate, the one who, who encourages us. So, so you get this. When you give encouragement to other people, it's powerful. You're, 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 you're taking on a way that the Holy Spirit would use you to give courage, to deposit courage into the lives of people. And it's, it's powerful when you, when you receive it. Like literally, you're bringing up there, down here when you give encouragement. If you've ever received encouragement at a, at a, at a desperate moment, you know the value and the power that it has. I was, I was running that race, and then at mile 19, Reese said, do you need me? Maybe you heard her say that. And at that moment, she began to run with me. She had worn her workout clothes to watch me run. And she had already pre-decided that she was going to jump in because she knew what it was like to hit the wall. She had run a marathon a couple, a couple years before. And so she jumped in and started. She didn't have a number. Um, so I don't know if it was legal or not, but, uh, but it's very encouraging. And, uh, and so she, uh, she filmed uh, this as we were close to the end. I want you to hear, hear her encouragement. One to go, Kev. Awesome. So good. Accomplishment. Just amazing, inspiring, and you're strong. Keep going. One mile, you got it. Less than a mile. Hmm. Yeah. Wives, don't underestimate the value of your encouragement for your husbands. 
Husbands, don't underestimate the value of, of encouragement for your wives. And she was cheering. I could listen to that over and over and over again. So powerful. Psychologists tell us that when we receive encouragement, that, it, that chemicals are released in our brain that like fuels us for achievement. And long before neurologists were figuring this out, in Hebrews chapter, chapter three, let me show you this verse. It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So he's saying, give encouragement to other people as long as it's called today. Why does he say that? Because we need it every single day. I've been a pastor for, for quite some time and I've never had somebody after I've encouraged them say, hey, Kevin, could you just lay off the encouragement because I've had enough. We can never get enough of encouragement. And we withhold oftentimes, maybe because of our own insecurity, or maybe because of the fear of how it would be received, but he's saying, let's give encouragement. And let me tell you something about encouragement. When you give encouragement, it doesn't just bless the person who receives it, it blesses the giver. It's powerful. And I was, when I'm running this race, there were a couple out and backs, like moments where you had to turn around. And then, so this was kind of awkward because now I'm having to look eye to eye with everybody who's beat me in the race. And I'm just competitive enough that it's messing with me that there are all these elderly women running at me and they're, they're looking at me in the eyes. I'm like, don't look at me in the eyes, you know? And then I'm, 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 I'm running and then I realize that there's an opportunity in here because every person has their bib and underneath their number is their name. And so I just began to call out their name. Come on, Gertrude, you can do it, Ethel. Let's go, Bernice. Like, I'm, I'm, calling, I'm, I'm cheering them on. And in that moment, they would smile ear to ear. And, but at the same time, like, and they would run a little bit faster. And so I'd have to go harder to catch them. But, but in that moment, I, I had this, this surge of emotive energy in me, too, because I was no longer looking at how horrible my circumstances were. Like, there was a lift that came from encouraging other people. And so rather than just looking at your circumstances and how they could be better, if you'll encourage others, it will help lift you as well. He's saying, so as long as it's called today, give encouragement. So maybe just ask the question, God, who's somebody I could encourage today? Let me ask you a question. Who's somebody in your realm of influence, in your relationships, who's hitting a wall right now? And not just so that you could send them a text or give them a phone call, but who's somebody that you could run alongside them for a little while? and help them finish the race. Encouragement is powerful. It's how we bring up there, down here. If you wanna hit your stride, you need to know you have a cheering section, but also be in somebody else's cheering section. If you wanna hit your stride, there's a couple things you need to do. If you're taking notes, I'm gonna give you a verse and then we'll unpack it. Look at verse one. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let me give you a couple things to do. The first one, is let go of what's holding you back. There are two distinct things that hold us back that he gives us. The first one is everything that hinders, and the second is the sin that, e that entangles, that easily entangles. So the first one is everything that hinders, and here's what I want you to know. There can be good things that hold you back. There are things that are neutral things that hold you back. It doesn't have to be an evil thing that's holding you back. When good things become primary things in our, in our lives, they hold us back from what God has for us. And so there can be a relationship that you've outgrown that's holding you back. There can be a boyfriend or girlfriend that's less than God's best for you that's holding you back. There can be a habit or a hangup in your life that's, that's holding you back. There can be a form of entertainment that has, that has now like began to govern just too much of your life. You ever binge watch a show? 
Like there are those moments like you, you start watching the show, you're like, oh, this is not going to be good. Like it just begins to pull you in and suck you in. And you're like, okay, I got to hurry up and get the kids to bed. Uh, it doesn't matter if they didn't brush their teeth or take a bath or it doesn't matter. Just go to sleep so I can watch my show. You ever? Okay. So, um, <laughs> and, and you know, and then you watch the first one and the second one, and the third one. And then you start to like plan like your life around like watching that show and and never do you get done binge watching a show and go, man, I just feel so invigorated and full of joy in my life. It's just all about the next episode. I wonder if sometimes entertainment like and getting sucked in and when we begin to govern our life around a show, if we're like, that's just not hindering, that's hindering us right now. Like maybe I need to let go, let go of that. Not like a legalistic kind of thing, but in a way to go, you know what, if, 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 if that is slowing me down on the race or hindering me, I mean, it could be, it could be a hobby, like something that starts as a hobby and then it becomes kind of this, this thing that hinders you. I mean, even like working out um, can be something that hinders you in this race and this journey. For me, um, when I started CrossFit, like I loved um, CrossFit and it became, you know how to tell somebody um, does CrossFit, don't worry about it, they'll tell you. That's my favorite, favorite joke because, and I've said it every time I preach and, and it just doesn't get old. And um, but because early on, there's just like this, it just got too much of my like real estate in my heart and my mind. And I, uh, and I realized, you know what, it started as a really good thing, but then it became something that uh, it just had too much. And, and sometimes like good things can become um, too, too important to us. Yeah. Um, social media. I remember like, you know, okay, you can get a Facebook app. And if you get the Facebook app, it'll send you notifications. They'll let you know when people like your things, you can post things and it's easier to stay connected with people and know what's going on in their lives. And then, you know, some, you're wondering, okay, why didn't they accept my friendship? Okay, why did they, why, why did they, you know, why did they defriend me? And then you start to wonder, well, why didn't he like this? And why did she like that? And so you get through and you're thinking about, oh, you know, what you're going to post next. And then, you know, one night it hit me, I'm sitting there with my family in the room, like these people that I would die for, and they're having a conversation, but I'm more concerned with what Bubba down in Macon is thinking of something I just posted. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not sure that this is helping me in the race. Like this is hindering me. Listen, and when I deleted the app, I added to my life. It's, it's addition by subtraction. What are the things that are holding you back? And what would it take courage for you to say, you know what, I'm going to let that go for a little while. Maybe, maybe just for a season, maybe for a long term. But if it's holding me back, then it's worth letting go. And it's not a loss. It's not a loss long term. It may feel like a loss in the moment. But you find that by deleting things in our lives, we end up adding joy and peace and freedom. So, so what's something... I mean, wouldn't God, wouldn't it be kind of him to just put his finger on something and say, hey, can you let that go for a little while? To let go of the things that are holding us back. But then there's also something else that holds us back. And he says it's the sin that easily entangles. The sin that easily entangles us. And it creeps in our lives. And like kudzu, it chokes the life out of us. It robs us of our best. And it starts small. And then it just begins to grow. It starts as, you know what, I'm just going just to skip a couple meals so I can lose a couple pounds. And then you give that enough time, it becomes an eating disorder. You're like, you know what, I'm just going to click around just out of curiosity, check out a couple videos and go to a couple sites. And it's not hurting anybody. And then you just give that enough time, it becomes a porn addiction. Maybe I'm going to text a coworker at night and just kind of have conversations. 
and your spouse is asleep and you're sending messages back and forth and pretty soon becomes an emotional affair and then a full-blown affair. Or you go, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna you know, take a little money here and I'm just borrowing, I'm not stealing, I'm just kind of borrowing. But then over time, becomes embezzlement. Sin starts small and then it just creeps and over time, and the easiest time to throw off sin that entangles you is when it's small. We deceive ourselves and we're like, it's not hurting anybody. It reminds me of a story that uh, Jim Collins, who uh, wrote a book, um, How the Mighty Fall, who talks about how he was running with his wife up Pikes Peak, and as they're running up the trail, he says, she's just smoking him. And uh, she's going so fast, and I know the feeling, Jim. I've been there. And, and he said, as, she, as he was chasing her, he, he had that thought, man, she's doing so good. He said that's why he was so just surprised when a few months later she had to have a double mastectomy. And he said what he learned from her bout with cancer is that when, when the illness, when the disease, when it's the hardest to detect, it's the easiest to treat. But when it's the easiest to detect, when it's the easiest to see, it's the hardest to treat. And sin is the same way. That when it's, the, when it's the hardest to detect, it's the easiest to, tre- easiest to treat. And so what, what he's saying is throw off the sin that so easily entangles. So if there are things in your life, convictions and places where you're compromising now, where it's small, don't wait till it's full blown. Throw it off. But if you are entangled in something, what I want you to know today is that God is not standing off and watching you and going, well, just work it out yourself. He would love to help you untangle. He would love to help you find freedom. Jesus loves sinners. I'm one. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin, and Jesus loves sinners. And he loves to forgive. There's not one person who's ever come to him for forgiveness, and Jesus said, well, I'm watching. We'll see how you do. No, right there in the moment, he forgives us. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants to help us get untangled. But we just, it takes humility to go, you know what, I've sinned, Jesus. I've made a mess of things. It reminds me of when my son Durham, when he was little, and he, uh, he, had, a, he had a bout with scotch tape. And scotch tape won. And it was one of those moments where I like, I have to pull out my phone and record this. You'll forgive me, you know, you'll forgive me, son, but I'm going to record this and, uh, so that I can share it with you. Check this out. Okay, what'd you do? What did you do? Okay, well, come here. Come here. Come here. Okay, let's pull this off. Okay, is that better? Okay, and it hurts your hair. Is that right? Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Ready? <laughs> that great. Did you hear what he said? He said, I did something. You ever been there, right? You've ever been a teenager? You've been there. You're like, I did something. Man, we can make a mess of things and we can get so tangled up. And what you need to know is that God is full of grace. And he doesn't love you any less. And if you'll come to him and you'll confess, he'll forgive you. He's not going to put you in the penalty box. He disciplines those he loves. But he invites you back into the relationship and he says, let me help you get untangled. If you'll confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive you of your sin every single time. 
But sometimes in order for us to get freed up, and we have to get help. Maybe you're in addiction right now and you're hitting a wall. You need to get some help. It takes courage to confess. It takes humility to confess to God. It takes courage to confess to somebody else. But listen, it's never going to be easier to get freed up than it is right now. It's only going to get harder. And it'll cost you more if you wait till later. But God in his kindness, he wants you to run the race that he has for you. And it requires that we throw off that which hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And then Paul tells us what to do. Look at verse two. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. If you're taking notes, write this down. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What do you do? How do you run this race? Fix your eyes on Jesus. What does it mean to fix your eyes on Jesus? It means to to look to him. It means to think on him. It means to make him the center of your thoughts. It means to return your gaze to him. It means where where you continue to bring him to mind. I mean, he's the object of your affection. He's the one that that is is where your attention is aimed. To fix your eyes on Jesus. You're like, how do you fix your eyes on somebody you can't see? Well, we know how to fix our eyes on the stock market. And we know how to fix our eyes on... On a, on a new pair of jeans that we keep thinking about all the time or a new pair of shoes or a new iPhone or a new car or a new house. We know, we know how to fix our eyes on, on other things. Man, if you've ever been a teenager and been in a relationship, you know how to fix your eyes on somebody even when you can't see them. Right? You're texting them and having a conversation with them and sending them messages back and forth. And you're like, well, they're not replying to my text. Like, what are you doing? Why do you not like me anymore? You know, you're sending like the, the heart emojis, the red heart emojis, and they send back a, you know, a yellow heart. You know, you're sending like the heart. You're like, what does that mean? You know, are we still, like, where are we at to find the relationship? And then you're sending a text and they send back and you don't see anything written. You just see a little cloud and all you see is a cloud and then the cloud goes away. And you're like, why the cloud go away? Are you not going to say anything? And then they never, they don't say anything. And you're And you're thinking about the whole rest of the day. That's what it means to fix your eyes. And so how do you fix your eyes on Jesus? It means you continue to bring your thoughts back to him. You're like, Jesus, I'm gonna continue to bring you, and you do it through prayer, and you read the scriptures, and you you find a verse that speaks to your heart. You write it on on a little three by five card, and you carry it with you. You make it your lock screen on your phone. You're in the car driving down the road on 85. You turn your car into a, sh- a chapel and you're singing a song. You're on, the, you're on the treadmill and you're running and you're thinking, why am I running? And then you listen to a message, you know, a podcast and you use that time to turn your, turn your thoughts to him. You pull together as a family and pray. You pray with your spouse. You pray with your kids. You're having conversations about Jesus with a coworker. You're serving your neighbor making a decision, hey, as a family, every seven days, no matter what's going on, we're gonna worship together because that's what's most important because that helps us fix our eyes on him. Listen, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, that's how you find your race. That's how you find the race that's marked for you. So whatever you're needing in life right now, fix your eyes on Jesus. You need peace, fix your eyes on Jesus. You need healing, fix your eyes on Jesus. You need wisdom, fix your eyes on Jesus. You need grace, fix your eyes on Jesus. You don't know what to do, fix your eyes on Jesus. That when we fix our eyes on Jesus, that's how we get what we need. And that's how we run the race that's marked for us. You have a race that's marked for you. You don't, you don't find your race by fixing it. And you don't run your race by fixing your eyes on the sin. And we do this so often. We, we find the thing that we want to fix in our lives. And like we're like, don't lust, don't lust, don't lust. And what do we do? We lust. Or we say, don't gossip, don't gossip, don't gossip. And what do we do? We gossip. What you're looking at is what you're working on. 
And rather than fixing our eyes on sin, we fix our eyes on Jesus because the gospel is not a gospel of sin management. It's a gospel that we get to have a relationship with the living God. And so we fix our eyes on him. And man, we struggle with this. If we don't fix our eyes on sin, a lot of times we fix our eyes on other people and we compare and we compete with other people. And we look at other people and when we compare with them, it just feeds insecurity and self-doubt. And we think, well, I'm not as smart as them or as wealthy as them or as successful as them or as good as them or I'm not as gifted as them or I'm not as skinny as them. And we compare ourselves with other people. And, and what happens is when we fix our eyes on other people, we end up trying to run their race. I can't think of anything more tragic in this life to get to the end of your life and to find out that you, you came in second in somebody else's race. That you ran somebody else's race because you didn't have your eyes fixed on Jesus. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, that's how you find your calling. That's how you find what you were created to do. That's how you find the life that he has for you. Fix your eyes on him. Don't fix your eyes on your sin. Don't fix your eyes on other people. Fix your eyes on him. Continue to turn your attention, your gaze back to him. Throw off the sin that easily entangles. And throw off that which hinders you and know that you have a cheering section and a cheering section is powerful. I'll prove it to you. I got to the end of that race, that 0.2 miles I was telling you about, I got to the end of that race. And uh, I had the biggest surprise in my life. I came around this turn, we were downtown Charlottesville, I came around this turn and I looked up and I saw Lawton and Athena, 480 miles from their home up in Charlottesville, Virginia, cheering me on at the end of the race. Lawton captured it with his cell phone, with his iPhone. I want you to see it. Check yourself. That's Reed. That's Reed. Yeah. Come on, Kevin! Let's go! Woo! Let's go! We were so kind. A couple things I want to point out. First is how far Ree was ahead of me. <laughs> Second thing is, did you see? I mean, you could even see. I was cheesing. I was smiling ear to ear. Right. And the third thing is, I sprinted. Like, I know it didn't look like, but that was a sprint. That was everything I had. <laughs> everything I had in the tank. It's the power of encouragement. They were cheering for me. Can you imagine what we would be capable of in this life if, if you would cheer for you and you would cheer for the person next to you and we would cheer for one another and know that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that we're not alone, that he is with us and heaven cheers for us by name and so do the people sitting around us. And we would be able to sprint to the finish because one day we will hit the finish line and we will discover in that moment to the fullness that it is about him and it's about his glory and at the finish line is Jesus. And we'll receive a crown and we'll take that crown and we'll put it at his feet. I don't even know where my medal is now. I don't know, I have no idea. Medals don't last. The crown that will last, we'll receive and we'll put it at his feet and it'll be about his glory. What do you need to do to hit your stride? Maybe today God's calling you to let go of something good so that you can take hold of what's great. Maybe he's calling you to throw off some sin that's, that's entangling you and confess. Find the courage to get help. Maybe God's just saying, I want you to get back to fixing your eyes on me. 
so you can run the race that I have for you. Let me pray with you. Would you bow your heads? Your hearts before God. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that Jesus ran the race perfect. He's the only one who ever has. Thank you that he went to the cross for us to forgive us of where we've fallen short. Thank you for the promise of eternal life and for the hope that comes from you. And so God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters and where they're at in the race. Some of them are thinking about giving up. Maybe they've already quit on the inside. God, I pray that today you would inspire them and you encourage them and that you would, you would call them by name and they would know that they are not alone, that the creator of the universe and all those who have gone before are encouragement and support of them. God, I pray for those who have, who have found themselves hindered by some good things that just have too much of their heart and their mind and have drifted, have caused them to drift from you. Lord, would you give them the courage to, to let go of those things for a season so that, they could, so that they could hit their stride, so that they could pursue you fully and your calling on their lives? And God, I pray for those who are entangled up and just, just feeling more defined by their, by their sin and by their struggles than they are the fact that they're a son or daughter of the living God. I thank you for the freedom that comes in Christ. And I pray that whether you give them freedom in a moment or whether it comes to a process, I pray that today they would take the first step to find help and get untangled. Give them courage to take. Would you show them what that next step is and would you give them courage to take it? And then God, I pray that as a church, we'd be known as those who fix our eyes on you. You're the author, you're the perfecter, you're the beginner and you are the finisher. And you are faithful to complete what you've started. Would you give us the heart of faithfulness to fix our eyes on you and to hit the finish line in a sprint? Pray in Jesus' name, amen.